Well, good morning, church. You guys all right? Come on now, here we are, uh, gathered up to engage in the grand exploration of a book we have no business entering in because it is alive and it is mysterious and beautiful and beyond our ability. And yet we are empowered by the one who wrote it, the spirit of God himself, who will guide us to see rightly and to understand fully. These are big and supernatural things we get to do together today. So it is exciting to be with all of you here. As we entered the summer this year, and we were asking God to give us direction in this gathering space as far as what we would travel through in the exploration of his word, uh, God led us to really a place that was a cry of our heart, uh, a place where we uh, would be able to kind of say, God, we desire something, we long for something, you've shown us that, and so we came and we cried out to him collectively for the summer with a request. God, show us this summer. Help us understand this summer what it would look like to have our souls revived. Like, revive us. Uh, One, because we have come out of what feels like a long journey, uh, a long, dark, and difficult journey that is that is that has sort of taken a lot from us, uh, left us exhausted. But but also because we're not just talking about a journey that's happened and isn't happening anymore. We live in a cultural context that is hurried and fast and 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 uh, overpaced. That is that is constantly engaged with one another in ways uh, that are unhealthy and unhelpful. And it feels very much like this world is a difficult place. And so, whatever revival we have, it fades and erodes as we do life. So God, what could it look like not just to revive us once from the last few years, but to show us how to walk in a lifetime of journey where we experience what you seem to say is possible, what you say is possible, that we could live in a place where we feel secure and we feel rested of soul, regardless of the storms in which we are engaged, regardless of the circumstances, relational dynamics, resource challenges, ins, outs, upside downs, and inside outs of the world in which we live. We know it will come at us as storms. How do we find this space? And God has faithfully been walking us through that journey together. And at the end of the day, through all the pieces and parts that he walked us through, it has come to this. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come follow me and I will give you security. I will revive your soul. Me, come to me. Come to me, stay with me, go with me. Follow me. He says, uh, not only come to me, be with me and go with me, but learn from me. Watch me, learn from me. and, And I will give you rest for your souls. And this learning is the taking on of my yoke, he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. It is rabbinical talk to say, uh, learn the truths that are my truths and watch the rhythms that are my life, the way that is my way. Put it into practice and watch my life and live my life. Put it into practice. Learn from me and walk with me in it and you will be revived of soul. What a thing. 
And we learned together that Jesus was engaging by his spirit with us to say that we as a culture, even a Christian culture, have been far more uh, drawn toward a tourist mindset where we pop in and out of experiences with God. We pop in and out of his word in short and quick quotes and devotionals. We shoot in and out of conferences and we gather up in quick spaces like this so that we can extract what we need to make it through the important rest of life. But to follow Jesus is the journey of a pilgrim, not the journey of a tourist, not someone who looks for the next quick fix or adventure, but comes into a journey together that fills both the exciting uh, spaces and the mundane ones. It is the whole thing. Come to me, stay with me, go with me to whatever this day is, learn from me as we go. It is the long obedience in the same direction that is the path to the place where our souls are revived as the days go on, not a destination of soul revival uh, and an elimination of that which exhausts the soul. It is a recalibration of life coming to me. So essentially, Jesus says this. You want a revived soul? You want stability and safety for soul? Follow me. Follow me. It's not profound. It's the same answer. But it does leave us in this space that is kind of a question. If it's that simple, then why is it just not happening? Well, there's a reason it's not just happening. Because it seems that simple until we ask the next question. Okay, so what does it mean exactly to follow Jesus, to come to him, to stay with him, to go with him? Because he's not here. Let's just be honest for a second, right? If I said to you, hey, if you, if you want this life, come follow me, that would make sense. You'd know what to do. You could make a choice. Do I want to come over to where Renault is and then go where Renault goes and be with Renault? Or don't I? But I, I do know what it means that I'm making the choice to follow, right? When Jesus came to his disciples uh, while he was on this planet and he rolled up to a boat where maybe Peter was or a, a tree where one of his disciples was and he said, come follow me. They had a choice to make, but they were not confused about how to do it, right? You just got up, you went to where he was, you stayed with him, and you went where he went. And then you learned from him and you grew in relationship and intimacy with him because you were hanging out with him. There it is. But how do we do that with Jesus? Because he left the planet in his body. And so we're like, okay. What do we do? Because it's weird. So the question becomes, God, how do we, how do we engage in this following? Because I, I want it, but I, I don't know what it means. Well, it turns out that actually what God did for us is that he showed us that following him right now in the context in which we live is no different than what it would look like if you were to follow me or I were to follow you. The relational dynamics 
that create the space of you coming to me, staying with me and going with me, developing relationship by learning from me and practicing with me what is this life I live is exactly the same dynamics relationally as we should do with God as we speak. So how do we have relationship? Let's start there because it'll help us go, oh, okay, I got it. If we want to have relationship as two human beings, there are primarily three things that become critical in order to start, have, and continue relationship. The coming to, the being with, the going with. The learning from, the engaging in life with. The first is presence. Just presence. You're like, what, what do you mean? Well, if there's no presence, if I don't know you, you don't know me, we've never been together, spoken to each other, met, have any context whatsoever, we have no presence. But when we engage with, with each other, a presence begins. That presence sometimes starts quite dramatically, right? The romantic movies, don't we love them? You know, it's got nothing to do with the words spoken. It's got nothing to do with the, with the deep, long journey of getting to know each other. It's magic, right? And we watch it in all the movies. We feel it. We have something to relate to it. When you meet that person that perhaps is going to be your next best friend or the love of your life, you know, you touch their hand as you brush past them and, and you're like, oh presence. There's something wonderful about the way that God created us, that we feel each other's presence in unique ways without the necessity of words, without sometimes the necessity of a physical presence through your body. Uh, that presence can deepen and expand as our relationship deepens from a magic touch that is Nothing but a feeling, but is a presence to a profound sense of presence because of somebody else. I, um, you know, have a, a slight propensity of not enjoying the darkness. Another way of putting that is I'm afraid of the dark, right? Don't like the dark, right? You turn all the lights off at night and you can't see past your hands. Not so comfortable for me. Many of you like turn the light on, can't sleep. I'm like, no, no, no. Turn the light off, can't sleep, right? So over the years, just so you know, I've been slowly working my way through that. So when my wife goes on a trip and I am by myself at the house with the other children who are of no used to me to protect me. Uh, so uh, I turn all the lights off and I live in the misery of my fear until it is overcome. So I'm getting there. But you know what's interesting? When Brooke is at home and she is in my room in the same bed, she can be asleep but I do not have any of those feelings of nervousness with darkness. Why not? Because her presence is with me. When we are going through the most exciting moments of our life, or when we are walking through the deepest and darkest valleys of our life, what is it we need most? Presence. Presence can include words. Presence can include physicality, but it doesn't have to. We need to know that the people we care about that care about us are with us. You can sit in a room with a group of people or a person who is going through the valley of the shadow of death and you need say nothing to be present. You need to be nothing to be present 
relationship was designed by God for us to have presence with each other. And when presence is lost to the other parts of relationship where we have nothing but the exchange of words, nothing but the physicality of one another, we know in intimate relationships, when presence is lost, then relationship is deeply diminished. In marriages, it is most often seen where you have the syndrome of we are now nothing but roommates. We exchange words. We are in proximity, but we no longer feel the beauty and safety and wonder of presence. We don't perceive each other's presence. And so now intimacy is lost. So the need to know, perceive, and engage in presence matters to any human relationship where you are coming to me or I am coming to you. We are staying together and we are going together. The second piece of human relationship that allows for us to do the coming, staying and going together, what it means to follow me or I follow you, is words. The exchange of words. We need words. Without words exchanged, there is no access to thoughts and heart. There is no access to understanding and clarity. There is only presence. And presence, though magical at first without words, is not sustainable, but for the deepening of understanding and intimacy through words, the exchange of words. Because words take what's here and here, and it puts it into clarity. And then you can attach those clarities to the experience of the person and say, yes, that's right. If I met you and you said, oh, I have this person and they are always just so present with me and I love it. Their presence is felt whether they're the, on the other side of the ocean. It's wonderful. And I say, well, tell me about them. And you're like, I don't know anything about them. I'm like, what do you mean? I've known them for seven years. We have a great relationship and friendship. Tell me something you know of them. I know nothing of them. They're just so present. You'd be like, that's crazy. That doesn't work. There needs to be an exchange of words. And then God designed it that this presence we feel, though we can feel it in the absence of words, we can feel it even in the absence of physicality. You know, when you write uh, that person that you care deeply about when you've gone on a long trip or you're taking a year overseas and you're like, we're looking at the same moon tonight. Ding. That's a way of saying, I'm not with you, but I'm with you. Presence can exist without physicality, without words, right? But if there is never physicality, never an experience tangibly of the other person's body in which their being, their presence, their personhood resides, and through which their words come and the experience of those words, then we will eventually uh, erode presence and words. Long distance relationships are always like this. Friendships or, or relationships of some form of intimacy when there is a great deal of distance physically for a long period of time it does not help the relationship, right? You don't say, oh my gosh, I'm so thrilled. I have this great friend. They're my very best friend and they live in the other side of the world. I never see them. We're never together. It's been 23 years. They are my best friend. It doesn't work. You can get away with it for a, a month, a year, or a couple of years at best, but overall, you also don't think, this is the best relationship ever. I never have to see them. You only do that with people you don't want intimacy with. 
But people you long for intimacy with, there needs to be an experience in some regularity of their physical presence through their body. That's what I have this thing for. It's actually not who I am. I will leave it at some point behind. But for now, it is the means by which you experience my words with tone and thought and feeling. And you see my words acted out so that you can authenticate them. It's also a means of presence because when I'm with you, that's different than saying I'm with you. And it creates a sustainability of these two experiences and an authenticity of the way the words flow. So if we are designed by humans to engage with each other through presence, through words, and through our body, and when we combine those three, they create the dynamics of intimate relationship that is ongoing and growing, the coming to, the being with, the going with, the learning from, the experiencing. Everything we've said that it means to follow Jesus or follow me then with God, how does that play out when his body has left the planet and he is not present with us? And how do we engage? Well, Jesus, when he was on this planet, he was teaching his disciples about the context in which he will leave the planet in that physical body he was in and go. And he was saying to them, I want you to understand and know that though I am leaving in one sense, I am very much not leaving in another. In fact, so much so that as far as the experience of relationship, I'm not even leaving. So you're going to see me go to a place you can't go and you're going to say, oh, and I'm going to say, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to be where? Right here with you. What do you mean? So Jesus says, oh, I'll I'll tell you exactly what I mean. And in the book of John, where this last meal before Jesus died and was crucified and was resurrected took place, others took place after that. But as far as that context, this last meal, uh, he is speaking to his disciples and he says to them this in John chapter 14, as he's unpacking his leaving them as Jesus in his current body. And he says this, verse 25 of John chapter 14. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So he's just making a statement. I'm right here. I've spoken them to you. This makes sense to us, right? But the helper, who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. How do you know, Renault? Because it says it next. But the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. In other words, what he's saying is, in your human context, that presence that you feel that can be felt absent of body, absent of words, sometimes attached to words, sometimes attached to body, but it is a thing in of itself. You will have that, not from someone else, but from me, because my Spirit will be present with you, not in some uh, aberration way, floating through the air like a ghost. I no longer have Jesus, but his spirit's somewhere here. It's, I don't know what that means. It's like, no, 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 no. My spirit's going to do the same things I do. He makes it very tangible. He's going to teach you the things I've been teaching you and all the ones I haven't gotten to yet. 
and he's going to remind you of all the things I did teach you and teach them to you again. And you're going to write them down so that other people can also experience his engagement and presence through a living experience of his words as he continues to teach us incredible things. He talked about his spirit like we talk about my presence with you and your presence with me when we are in relationship, but in the context of this presence that we just have with each other. So Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me now uh, as my spirit is present with you here and he will tangibly be present with you. In fact, so much so he's going to be with you and in you. Who gets the spirit of God? Who receives this incredible presence? Well, the disciples did because we know it happened in a powerful way at the point that Jesus left and his spirit came. But the disciples weren't the only ones. Turns out the Jewish people, the people of God during that time, they also received the spirit and everyone was excited. The, the presence of God with us is not just for the elite, the necessary teachers, those who need to know things we don't know. It is for God's people. And then God's people, the Jewish people, can go and tell the world of the wonders of Jesus. Then they went and they told the Samaritans. And what did the Samaritans get? The Spirit of God when they came to say, we want to follow Jesus. And the Spirit of God came. So not only do the Jewish people get the Spirit, but the Samaritan people get the Spirit too through a visible and powerful event that said, look, the Samaritans, check, they get them too. So apparently you get God's presence when you come to God and say, I'd like to be with you. And then he goes, excellent. Now you have my presence. Those who come to know Jesus and say, I want to follow you. What do they get? His presence, his spirit. Then they went to the Gentiles, the evildoers, the crazies, the rest of the human race, us. And they're like, oh, we can tell you about Jesus because you need him bad. And when those Gentiles said, I want to follow him. What did Jesus give them? His presence. So who gets it? Any person who says, I want to know and follow Jesus, same as if I come to you or you come to me and say, I want to get to know you. I want to follow you. Then you are the recipient at that point of my presence. I say, okay, let's do this. Jesus said, when you come to know me, you get my presence, my spirit, and you all have it. So we have his presence. It's awesome. In his presence, he will comfort us in ways we don't understand, strengthen us in ways we don't understand, whisper those lovely things our heart needs so often in places we don't understand. He will be the touch that gives us goosebumps and the wonderful whispers of love. Presence uses words when those words are whispered, not for the exchange of experience or knowledge, but for the whispers of intimacy and presence. We will now have that. Then he said, okay, but to do relationship in the following, if all you have is presence and never words, how long is that sustainable? Not at all. 
and you won't know the heart and mind and wonder and love and truth of God. So I'm going to give you words, sentences, descriptions, thoughts and heart and love. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about me and my love for you and heart for you and about you and how you function. And the spirit of God is going to tell you all that. And then you are going to write it down and then we'll have it all. And then this becomes the words, the language, the wonder of an ongoing conversation that happens. We are invited by God to engage with the growing knowledge of the words that are his speaking to us. So listen to what the author of Hebrews says about this extraordinary thing. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter three and four, uh, the author is describing the people of God during Joshua's time as they were called into the, 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 the Sabbath rest, the promised land, the place where you are secure and where your soul is at rest. Is this not what we have been asking God to show us, right? And in that journey, because they did not know, believe, and follow God's word in their own way, they missed out on that rest and security for seasons. And the author of Hebrews saying, let's not be like them. When God is saying, come, hear my word, believe what I have to say, engage with me in the conversation, I will show you my heart and my mind. If we say, no, thank you, that's okay. We are gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna lose the beautiful freedom that God has said, here, waiting for you is my security and rest. So listen to what he says at the end of unpacking all that. The author of Hebrews writes this. So let us therefore, verse um, uh, 11 of chapter four of the book of Hebrews. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest. There it is. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The experience of the Jewish people. Look. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What is he saying here? The author of Hebrews is saying, when you experience the word, of God rightly, you have a right understanding of what it is, you realize it is not a set of written instructions so that we can be obedient, so that we can prove to God that we're faithful. We say that again. It is not God's set of written instructions, the textbook by which we know the rules of life. And when we choose to live by them, we prove to God that we are wise and faithful and he likes us at all or likes us more. To be honest, that's how a lot of us have spent our lifetime engaging with this. But what he's saying is, no, did you hear it? When you are in this, he sees you, he engages with you, he transforms you, he separates the things that are unseeable, takes you to the places you cannot see for yourself. He comes and he changes and he speaks. This is a what kind of a word? A living and active word. That's why when we speak to one another, certainly sometimes we do it in written form, but our written form is very different when we are engaged in also experiencing each other's speak. 
If you ever receive a letter or a text from someone you don't know, you don't know their voice, you don't know their heart and mind, you don't know their tone, how does that often feel? You're like, oh, I mean, what have we said a thousand years now? Don't post stuff on social media. That's like, because you sound angry. And you're like, but I'm not angry. But all the people don't know you. They don't know your voice, your tone, your heart, your love. So they don't see zeal and passion. They see angry and mad. They don't see love. They see judgment. Why? Because when we write things down without the voice of the person tied to it, then it sounds different. But when that person has spoken many times and then they send us the love letter, when you read the letter, whose voice are you hearing in your head? The love of your life, the friend you have, you hear their voice, you, you catch their tone, you're like, oh, it's beautiful. Those words are not written down. They are living and active. And what God is saying is this, this is the combination of knowing my presence and having it. And then in that living in this and learning to watch me do things with this that are unimaginable. Jesus reprimanded um, the Pharisees most significantly when he was on the planet in his uh, body that he walked around with. And, and uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. It is a great reminder of us, uh, for us, on how quickly we can wrongly engage with the word of God as a burden to which we must live up to rather than a love letter of conversation into which we can engage with the one who is in fact our rest and our security. Listen to what he says. Some of Jesus Jesus' sharpest disagreements, this is Eugene Peterson speaking or writing, were with the scribes and Pharisees, the persons in the first century who knew the words of scripture well, but heard the voice of God not at all. They had an extensive and meticulous knowledge of scripture. They revered it. They memorized it. They used it to regulate every detail of life. Sound familiar? So why did Jesus then reprimand them? Because the words were studied and not heard. For them, the scriptures had become a book to use, not a means by which to listen to God. They isolated the book from the divine act of speaking gospel commands and gospel promises. They separated the book from the human act of hearing, which would become believing, following, and loving. Printer's ink became embalming fluid. This is where we can end up if we forget that all this is, is God's invitation to say the way relationship works, if you're going to follow me, is you need my presence like you need each other's and you need my words. You have them now and my presence will speak my words in the way I see fit to speak to you personally. And my words will guide the truth so that when I speak, you don't think what you're hearing is me when it's actually you because this will say, I don't speak that way because you hear me here. And so these two dance together as our relationships with each other dance together, presence and words. But to experience presence and words, there is another piece to the equation. And here we go. Look at this. As God writes through his spirit to Paul, Paul writes a book to the church in Colossae. And in the book of Colossians, he writes these words. Listen to this. He says, listen, considering everything we know now of God's words for us and his spirit with us, let the word of Christ dwell in you 
richly. So we are to take God's word. We are to learn it as we learn language so that we have the vocabulary to be able to hear the spirit and engage with the spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not a book to come to, to extract pixie dust from. Little verses that we can scatter along our exciting moments, our desires, our wants, uh, or our devastating moments and say, God's going to be with me. He's going to make me win. He's going to make me okay. He's going to fix everything. This is actually the language of God. We deeply embed like we embed English or Spanish or any other language we learn so that when we are communicating with the other person who has that language, we have words to exchange. So he says, let it dwell richly in you. But look what he does next then. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed in the act of every day, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what does he say here? As the word of God, the words of God dwell in you richly, what are you to do with those words? You are to immediately engage with the other humans who know Jesus with them. Teaching, admonishing, listening, hearing, singing. Why? Why? Because, watch now. I said there were three things you needed to have a relationship with someone and follow them. You need presence. He has given us his presence. You need words. He has given us his words. But you also need a body. If, if you never have a body to engage with, then you will never know tone and love and action and beauty from those words or those presents. That will erode. You need body. And Jesus in his word said, I have given you my body to engage with every day. And we're like, no, you left the planet. And he's like, no. That body left the planet. But when my spirit came, he came to reside in my body and my body is my people, the people that have my presence, that know my word. So if you want to experience me tangibly through my body, touch, hugs, words with tone and understanding, greater depth of, of clarity on the heart and mind of God, then each of you uh, with my presence guiding you, understanding my words, you go exchange them with each other. You practice them with each other and you will know my words with voice and wonder and physicality. You will know my love differently. In fact, the whole world will know my love as they watch the love you all have for each other because I am with you and I have given you my word. And so we come together to, to, to be together because we can't follow Jesus without his body. It just doesn't work. It'd be like me saying, follow me. And I leave and you stay here. And I go, are you coming? And you're like, I have your presence and I have your words, but I don't need to go with you. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, if I'm rolling out with my body, that's where I'm going too. So you need physicality. We need it to have relationship. And Jesus said, oh, I've given you all the physicality in the world. My spirit resides in each of you individually, but in so doing collectively as my body. I am not his body. You are not his body. We and only ever we are his body. There is 
no revival of soul for me without the us. Because the us is his body and I can't be with Jesus rightly without his body. So you're stuck with us or you're stuck never experiencing Jesus in his body. So what does the author of Hebrews say about that in Hebrews chapter 10? Please, I beg you, he says, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but come together regularly so that you are stirred up and spurred on. Think about that language. So we are stirred up toward love and toward good deeds, toward experiencing God's love and and expressing God's love. We can only know fully his presence and his word as it is experienced and expressed and shared through his body. And if you have his body without his words, you're dead. It's like being together in a room and never speaking. If you have his his presence without his words or his body, it will fade quickly. If you have his body without his presence, oh, run for your life. Have you seen a body without someone in it? Not the happiest place. But when his body, us, is together with his word richly dwelling, differently so we can share the different parts and eventually fully in all and his presence is full in us then we are a people who are walking with following experiencing Jesus and he said come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest follow me take on my yoke learn from me enjoy my presence perceive my presence remember my presence engage in my presence be sensitive to my presence Know my word, may it dwell in you richly, and then it will become from ink on a page to words to the heart. And you will experience those words most beautifully to the heart when you hear them from my very vocal cords or the very hands I shape to form words, depending on the language I need to exchange with you. And together you will know me. We are with one another, not because we need each other, but because we need Jesus. And the only way we get Jesus physically is with one another. To revive me is to revive us. Because you cannot have individual revival without the collective body. You can have moments of it. Sometimes just presence is enough. Sometimes just words. But in longevity, nobody no fullness of Jesus. So, Eugene Peterson writes this, a different book. He talks about an experience when you're going to hang out with somebody uh, that you love and you want to spend time with and you are intimate with uh, in, through friendship or relationship of some kind and you just want to go with them and you pick a nice restaurant and you go to that restaurant, an upscale one. You know what I'm saying? The dimmed lights kind of one, the kind of one where you're trying to tell this person, I want to I be with you and only you even though we're in a place that's public. And what they do in those restaurants is they design them so that you get a little booth and it's just the two of you, even though there are other humans around and you can stare into each other's eyes, experience one another's presence, exchange quiet words and experience the physicality of one another. And then there's this waiter or waitress and they come and go and they are extremely important because no waiter or waitress, no food, no, no drinks. No experience, no candlelight, no engagement, no understanding of this menu with words on it. You don't understand because the restaurant's apparently higher scale. 
And so they play an important purpose, but they are temporarily in and out. And when you get food that's too cold, who do you call? Not the person across the table. Fix this! You call the waiter. You, see, you, you give them your complaints. You give them your requests. And uh, at the end, if they do a great job, what do you do? You tip them and you thank them. Thank you. You're awesome. And what Eugene Peterson writes is he said that is the intent of God as we are with each other and in the disciplines that are presence disciplines and in the disciplines that are uh, his word. His intent is that we're sitting at the table with him and the waiter is those things around us, the tools that we have to better engage in relationship. But he says, this is actually how we more often do it than not. He says, but here is a parody, um, Eugene Peterson says, of prayer that we engage in far too often. The details of the story is exactly the same, same restaurant, same intimacy, just two differences. The person across the table is self and the waiter is God. The waiter, God, is essential, but peripheral. You can't have the dinner without him, but he is not an intimate participant in this conversation. He is someone to whom you give orders, make complaints, and maybe at the end give thanks. The person you are absorbed in across the table is self. Your moods, your ideas, your interests, your satisfactions, your dreams, your hopes, or your lack of them. When you leave the restaurant, you forget about the waiter until the next time that you return to the restaurant. And if this is a restaurant that you visit often with self, eventually you might even remember the waiter's name. I don't share that to, to cause you to go, oh my gosh. I share that to say, can we, just, can we just sit together for a second and say, wow, we want this revived soul, this rest of soul and the security. But the way we engage in relationship with God is, is, is mysterious and weird because we think we don't know how. And he's saying, you have my presence, learn to perceive it, know it, be with it. You have my word, have it dwell richly. And you have my body, hang out with them a bunch because they are me with my spirit. So how then do we, when we want to follow someone, now we know how, you just gotta, you gotta be present with them, know their words and hang out with them physically. Now watch, we are given tools, what the waiter should be. Tools, and here are the tools. They're called many things. The disciplines of the faith is one name given to them. The rhythms of grace is another name given to them. The practices of intimacy, another name given to them. The practices of togetherness. They are the things we do in every relationship you have that either builds toward more presence, more words exchanged and understood, and more physicality or less. And that determines whether you are with, going with, being with, and staying with the person or not. The disciplines of the faith, some are designed specifically to enhance the experience and knowledge and perception and ongoing reality of presence, silence and solitude, prayer and fasting, uh, quietness uh, and, and, and uh, disciplines that say, stop, be still, come sit, listen, experience, perceive. They are disciplines designed to in, engage in, experience and embed the word of God into our lives, memorization, uh, study, reading, meditation. Some of those are also intimate presence building. They cross over, but here I am in his word. And then some are designed for physicality, worship, celebration, um, uh, service, um, sharing, 
These are disciplines, they're actually disciplines where we serve and we celebrate and we grieve and we run and we give to each other and we receive from each other because they are the means by which we are engaged in his body. And when we as a people spend our days looking for ways to engage in the disciplines of faith or the practices of togetherness in the intimacy spaces with the spirit, the engagement with his words and the togetherness of his body, guess what he says will happen. He says, if you do that at the end of the day, a community will emerge that looks like this. And they devoted themselves to prayer and the teaching of the apostles and the togetherness, the fellowship of the saints. They spent their time constantly engaged in prayer, the things of intimacy, the study of God's word through the apostles and the togetherness of the saints. And God said they had all things in common. Acts chapter two, verse 42, the most wondrous display of biblical community that we've ever seen. It seems like all these people were like, what? Wait, wait, revived of soul rested yet not in the middle of Rome, the worst possible realities of culture they've ever lived in and yet rested and secure. And this community was simply practicing the things that are relationship with Jesus. We want to be a place here that comes together and says, how can we facilitate as a church organizationally for you and I? And how can we facilitate for each other the quiet journey of works that embed us in the consciousness of his presence and the receptiveness to it, the knowledge and understanding and deep embedding of God's word so he can speak whenever he sees fit, and the engagement of togetherness with one another so that we would know his voice and his touch through each other and the world would know him by our love for each other. We wanna just do that. And in doing that, Jesus says this, John chapter 15, at the end of 14, where he said, my spirit's coming, my presence, he's going to teach you my word, and then you're going to be together doing it. He said this, so, conclusion, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And all of the fruit you can imagine of soul rest and security will quietly become your reality as it is in you and through you. The journey, the pilgrimage, the discipleship, not the tourism, the quiet work of practices of togetherness with God will lead you to a revived soul. For I said to you, when you come to me and you take on my ways, I will give you rest for your soul. And when you build your house on me, my rock, my truths, my way, my life, when the storms come, your stability will be secure. You will be safe and you will be rested, revived. Wow. Let's pray. God, help us to begin the quiet journey of the long obedience in the same direction by beginning quietly, uh, practicing, engaging in, uh, being a part of those things that are the facilitation of experiencing and perceiving and engaging with your presence, your spirit, by knowing and hearing and experiencing your word and by watching you speak and act and love and work through your body, us. May we become a people that begin to divert the 
pace and energy and focus of our lives from that which is self, which is our hopes, desires, securities, dreams, fears, insecurities, and slowly start saying, perhaps sitting at the table with self and throwing requests and complaints and thanksgivings to the waiter won't get me to any kind of soul rest, any kind of security. Perhaps I need to exchange, get rid of self, put the waiter at the table, realize who he actually is, and then let a new waiter show up that's just tools for the ongoing work of making this table special, intimate, and undistracted. God, show us the way. We will stumble our way toward it, as all your followers do, because that's what makes us your followers. We're still learning together. But may we not be a people that neglect the coming together, nor the engagements and deeply understanding your word, nor the constant works of quietness of soul so we could hear your voice, Spirit. And take us to the Sabbath rest, the security that is your promised land. You, you. So here we are, Jesus. We come, we want to stay with you, and we want to go with you. We probably won't all the time. So help us, call us, keep us, show us the way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.